We truly did have a wonderful week during the One Cry conference, and I trust that uh, God did a, a work in your life so deep and so broad that it uh, cannot be contained and that it will not be limited to just a, a week or a few days, that it truly would just in, impact the rest of your life. That's what I'm praying for me, that it would impact the rest of my life, what God was showing me and still is teaching me, and that it would spill over from our lives into our homes and into our communities, and God would truly make it a, a big difference. And uh, as Susan in the choir just sang, the gospel changes everything, and it, it is changing us. We need to let the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ truly change us and transform us into the person that Jesus Christ died for you and I to be. We do have a whole lot to thank God for. And as we think about the events of the last week or month or so, what God has done in our lives through revival, and, and uh, we have a lot to, to give Him glory for and praise for. God is worthy of our praise. As we set aside this time, and uh, we, we, as Ryan, our revivalist, explained to us about the consecration and the concentration. Every Sunday is a consecrated day that we set aside to concentrate on His Word. Thanksgiving Day is a day that is consecrated. It's been consecrated as our nation. Our presidents in long time past consecrated that day to concentrate our efforts and our lives on giving thanks to God. And so it's right for us to do that. And as David prayed in his prayer a moment ago, it's not limited to just one day. We should be doing that every day, just as our worship and our Bible study and our relationship with God is not limited to Sunday. It should be a part of every day of our lives. But today is a consecrated day where we concentrate on the Word of the Lord. And so as we do, I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. We're going to read some verses here about praise. We have been talking about one cry. Uh, we started... Back at the 1st of October, we talked about the one cry the church needs to make. The first is repentance, to turn from our wicked ways and to turn back to God. Now, we're talking about the church. We're not talking about the nation. We're talking about the church of Jesus Christ all over the world, beginning with you and me and beginning with this church. Then we talked about the one cry the church needs to make to the lost, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and also the one cry for the lost. We need to be lifting them up to the Lord and in and uh, praying for them. Then we talked about the one uh, cry of uh, revive us. God, revive our hearts. Stir in us. Rekindle that fire and that flame, that zeal, that passion, that love for you that we desperately need and that we maybe once had but we've lost or we've drifted away from. I hope that's still your prayer. And then the Sunday before One Cry Conference started, we, we shared with the one cry of deliver us. Lord, deliver us from our sin. You see, Jesus Christ came to save us from sin. Not just once and for all. Yes, once and for all. But to, when He died for you, He died for all of your sin. To rescue you from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin is what we talked about. God, deliver us from giving in to sin over and over again. And deliver us from the evil that's in this world. And then last week, we had the One Cry Conference where the team outlined for us what revival looks like and what what we need to be thinking about, that there is a hope for revival. God truly wants to do a work in, this, in, this, in His church and in this nation. And he, I hope that it, it awakened in you a desire 
You know, my prayer for the churches in, uh, in Georgia and in America is that God would awaken in us the desire for revival, that we, we really would want to be everything God wants us to be, that we really would love the Lord with all of our heart as individuals and as churches, and that we really would be passionate for other people to know Him. And so that's where we left off this past week, but today I want to finish up this series, One Cry, with the cry of praise. The cry of praise. In Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 40, would you stand with me as we honor the Lord and read His Word together? Follow along as I begin in Luke 19, 28. When He had said this, He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, the He being Jesus. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever set. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw, on their, threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Let's pray. God, you have a, a message for us today from your word. Oh God, we give you our ears and our minds and our hearts. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us the mind to understand it and the heart to obey it, the hands and the feet to do it. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to show you this morning, the first thing I want to show you is some characteristics of genuine praise. First of all, we see in verse 36 that genuine praise is unequaled. They spread their clothes on the road. That is, they took off their overclothes, their coats, or whatever extra clothing they had, and they laid it down on the road for Jesus Christ to ride that donkey over. There was, that was something they only did for kings. It was a recognized act of homage to a king, the way in which conquerors and princes were often honored. Casting flowers or garlands or evergreens, before a warrior returning from victory or a king entering into his kingdom. It wasn't something you just did for any person. It was reserved for a king. It was reserved for a victor. Like in the Old Testament, as Jehu, when the officers of the army of Israel chose him as their ruler, he walked upon the garments which they spread beneath his feet. The Bible says, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps, and they blew their trumpets and said, Jehu is king. 
Jehu is king. And so it was a great celebration. But they didn't do that for just the priest going to the temple. They didn't do that for the common man going to the temple. It was reserved for the king. John, in his gospel account of this we just read in Luke, says that these branches were branches of the palm tree that they laid down, as well as their clothes. And the palm was an emblem of joy and victory. Now, we have this in our culture today, too. In fact, when a dignitary visits our country, and he disembarks from the plane, and he's moving from the plane to maybe his motorcade, or maybe he's moving into the terminal, what do you see on the ground between the plane and his motorcade? A red carpet. Now, if I were to fly somewhere, I've never had anybody roll out the red carpet for me. I'm just not that important. Doubtful you are either. But for a dignitary, a king, they roll out the red carpet. You see, praise is to be unequaled. In other words, our praise of God is to be reserved for God alone. It should be something we do that only we give to Him. You remember Ryan, as he was teaching during revival, he told about a man who reserved one word only for God. Now, when he said that, I used that word for a lot of things. And the word was awesome. You remember that? Awesome. And he only used that word about God. Well, I've used it about a lot of things. I'll say it ten times before the day is over. Oh, that was awesome. Awesome. This was awesome. That food, that meal was awesome. That game was awesome. Not our game, but somebody else's game. <laughs> if you know I'm an LSU fan, you know it wasn't too awesome. But anyway, the way we praise the Lord should be unequaled, even to that of football. You ever been to a football stadium? You know, it's interesting, I was told, and I'm not pointing any fingers, but that at a local football game that some people were told to sit down and shut up from cheering. Really? At a football game? But it got me to thinking, it's exactly what happened in this story. The disciples were cheering. And some old stick in the muds said, sit down and shut up. But as loud as we cheer for our team moving that silly little piece of pigskin up and down the field, we should be hollering and praising God. It should be unequaled. You should not have a greater praise for your football team than you do for Jesus Christ. Or some movie star. I, I marvel at how people get starstruck when, when, they, when a movie star or a music star, they get to me, oh, I just got to get his autograph. For what? What are you going to do with it? Well, I have it. He touched it. That's his ink. I shook his hand. Really? He's just a man. Is she's just a woman. Does that make you feel more important because you've got their autograph? I mean, are you going to try to sell it? What's the big deal? Why don't we make that big of a deal about Jesus? Oh, I get to meet with Jesus every morning. Woohoo! but we just walk out the door and leave him. David's praise in 2 Samuel chapter 6, you know the story, was unequaled. Um, in 
2 Samuel chapter 6, David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And uh, here's what it says. The Lord, King David, it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of God. So David went and brought the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the Ark of God had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fattened sheep. And then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. And on the story goes that he had offered these sacrifices, and he, he uh, danced before God, and, and then Michael, we'll look at that in just a moment, but David's praise was unequaled. He didn't do that for anybody else. It was unequaled. It was unmatched. And how is your praise? How are your celebrations? Is, do you get more excited over the things of this world, or do you get more excited over giving glory and praise and honor to the one who died for you? It's convicting to me, too. It's convicting to me, too. Praise is also united. United. Look at back at verse 37 of our text. It says, The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God. Psalm 107, verse 1 and 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It was, un, it was unrestrained, it was unhindered, and, and, and united. They all lifted their voices in praise, singing praise to Jesus Christ. It wasn't that there were some people who were, who were singing as happens in churches today. And I, by the way, that's a great reason I sit on the front row. I don't have to look at who is and who isn't worshiping or praising God. I'm just focused on me and, and God. A lot of times I just close my eyes because I want to I block out everything. I just want to focus on me and God. And so, but there, so I'm not picking on any person here because I don't see who does what or doesn't do. But I cannot imagine a Christian who's been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, who has the opportunity to sing and worship the Lord, that sits here like this when we're singing. I don't mean with your arms crossed. I just mean silent, stoic, stern. You say, well, preacher, you don't understand. I don't want to torture the people in front of me. <laughs> You're not singing to them. You don't sing because you got a voice. You sing because you have a song in your heart. It don't matter what that person thinks about what you can, how you can sing. You know, the other night I was, I was during revival, I was, we were worshiping, and I just heard this great male voice behind me and singing out loud. I went, wow, that's awesome. We need to get that guy in the choir. I don't know who that is, but, but as soon as we get a break, I'm going to turn around and see who that is and welcome him to the choir. And turn around, it was Brian Price. <laughs> oh, that boy can sing. <laughs> but he was lifting his voice. He didn't have to be up here directing us to lift his voice to pray. He was out there worshiping with, with the rest of us, united. Followers of Jesus are united in their praise because of that which he's done for us. Notice also in verse 37, unashamed, praise is unashamed. They sang, they, they uh, rejoiced and praised God with a loud voice. Blessed be the Lord, blessed. That's how some of us sing. 
They sing in a loud voice. Remember, it's unequal. When you're shouting for your team, are you going, Go Tigers. <laughs> Pick them. You go, boys. No. I've seen the way some of you act about football. And the way I act. A fool. With a loud voice, unashamed. Rejoice. The word rejoice here in the text, you know what it means? To cheer. You ought to be a, you know what? I don't believe in male cheerleaders, but there are some. <laughs> but I could be a cheerleader. That's what Brian Price is. He's a cheerleader up here. He's a worship leader. He's a cheerleader. He's a rejoice. A you can be a cheerleader. Men and women, girls and boys. A cheerleader for Jesus. That's what it means to rejoice, to cheer, to praise with a loud voice. David, back in, our, back in 2 Samuel, David was lifting up his voice. He was unashamed. He was, it says, dancing before the Lord. In fact, he didn't have very many clothes on. Now, I'm not suggesting that. Please, no, I'm not suggesting that. But David was not ashamed. He was unashamed and dancing, dancing before the Lord. I think sometimes we are ashamed. That's why we don't praise God. We're ashamed. We're ashamed to express our worship to God. We're ashamed because somebody else might think we're acting the fool. Or we're being silly. Or we're, being, we're doing it to call attention to ourselves. Or, or, you know what? If the Spirit's leading you to praise God with your hand raised or your knee bowed or your head bowed or your voice lifted high and loud even though you don't think you can sing, you don't be hindered. Be unashamed. You know what? That's what I, I, I love football too. But I notice. I, I'm an LSU fan first. I'm a Mississippi State fan second. That's what my dad's alma mater. And I kind of root for Ole Miss because that's my mom's alma, alma that word. <laughs> Basically, I'm an SEC fan. And I, I, I you know, when, back when I was a, a kid, a teenager, man, I would root for those teams with all my might. And I, you know what, I didn't care what people thought. You know, and, and I'd jump and shout and scream and you know, if you're a Mississippi State fan, you'd get cowbells and ring those cowbells, you know. And, and remember that when Mississippi State, they were trying to tell them, don't bring your cowbells to our stadium. You leave your cowbells at home. Boy, Mississippi State fans about had a fit. What you mean we can't bring our cowbells? You know, and that's, what, that's what's happening in this text. There are people who want to unashamedly express their praise to God, and, and they're being squelched. A body is not crippled till its heart has ceased to praise. Lewis Albert Banks tells of an elderly Christian man, a fine singer who learned that he had cancer of the tongue and that surgery was required. In the hospital, after everything was ready for the operation, the man said to his doctor, Are you sure I will never sing again? The surgeon found it difficult to answer that question. He simply shook his head no. The patient then asked if he could sit up for a moment. He said, I've had many good times singing the praise of God, he said. And now you tell me I can never sing again? I have one song that will be my last. 
It will be of gratitude and praise to God. And there in the doctor's presence, the man sang softly the words of Isaac Watts' hymn. I'll praise my maker while I have breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler power. My days of praise shall ne'er be past, while life and thought and being last, or immortality endures. He unashamedly, there in the doctor's office, when he was told he could never sing again, unashamedly lifted up his voice to praise God. Praise is unrestrained. In verse 39 and 40, you see the Pharisees telling Jesus, rebuke your disciples, silence them, tell them they can't do that. That's not right. You know, the interesting thing is Jesus said, you know, if I tell these to keep quiet, then the rocks are going to start dancing and singing. Now, wouldn't you like to see that? Jesus won't stop you even if others want to. Michael, David's wife, despised David for dancing unrestrained and unashamedly before the Lord. She even said, in this back in 2 Samuel chapter 6, um, I'm sorry, I'm in 1 Samuel, that's why I'm not seeing it. Wait a minute. Michael came to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today. She was mocking him, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this. And I will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Hey, listen, don't worry about the critics of your praise. Don't worry about what other people are thinking. It's not between you and them. It's between you and God. And that's not just in public. That's also in private. But praise is unrestrained. A silent love is acceptable, Henry Van Dyke said, only from the lower animals. God has given us speech that we should call upon His name. Worship is to religion what fragrance is to flowers. So you see, praise is to be unequaled. You should reserve your highest praise for God. It's to be united with the body of Christ. It's to be unashamed, and it's to be unrestrained. But before I close, I want to share with you, I know because I know where some of you are, or I think I know where some of you are, because this is where we all get from time to time. Preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. There's no way I can praise. I don't feel like praising. I want to share with you this morning three reasons every believer has to praise God. And it's right here in our text. Verse 37. We praise God because of victory. Look at verse 37. 
And it says they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. They had seen God do mighty things. Now, as you think about thanksgiving, as you think about praise, you don't have to think very hard to think about the things God's done for you. Things He's already done. Even in the midst of your sorrow, maybe now, maybe in the midst of your need and your discouragement right now, there are still plenty of things that you can praise God for, that He has come through for you on, that He has done for you. The victories that He has won for you in the past. Praise Him. Begin praising Him for those things. Even if you don't feel like you have anything right now going on in your life right now that you can praise Him for, then look back at the mighty things He has done already. Take the breath in your lungs right now. Are you breathing? Praise God. Are you seeing? Praise God. Are you in a warm building? Some not warm enough? Praise God. Will you go home and have lunch today? Praise God. Did you have lunch and supper yesterday? Praise God. Do you have a family? Praise God. Do you whatever? Thank God. Praise God because of victory. You know, when Israel crossed the Red Sea, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 14, verse 30, The Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Then Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, and a whole chapter, almost at least half the next chapter, is the song of Moses of praising God for delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. Then as Moses finishes singing, then Miriam, his sister, picks up the song, and she begins singing. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. We have, if, we, if God never did anything else for you, never did anything else for you, but that's, that's not going to happen, because, again, every breath you breathe, Every sight you see, every step you take, every meal, bite you put in your mouth, everything. But if he were to never do another thing for you, you have enough that he's already done for you to fill your mouth with praise if that's all you did for 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You have a reason to praise. By the way, are you saved? What if you lose your life? What if you do lose your finances? What if you do lose your health? What if you do die? What if you can't make your mortgage this month? You going to hell because you can't pay your mortgage? <laughs> you may feel like it. You're going to heaven if you're saved. Your salvation so praise God because of victory. Every one of us in here today that names the name of Jesus, we have a reason to praise God. I want to share a second reason you have to praise God and praise God before the victory. Look at verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now at this time, they were saying these things. These were the disciples. At this time, Israel was under Roman oppression. Caesar was king. 
Were they talking about Caesar? Or were they talking about Jesus? You tell me. They were talking about Jesus. But who was king? Caesar was king. Certainly, many of them saw Jesus as the political military conqueror, as the great kings of old, and they thought something about Jesus that Jesus didn't come to do. Maybe that's what prompted them to praise. Here comes our king. He's coming into Jerusalem, and he's going to overthrow Rome, and we're going to finally be free. Maybe that's what they thought. But nonetheless, they were offering their praise even while under an oppressive regime because they expected Jesus to conquer their enemies. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, which is absolutely one of my favorite passages of Scripture, is the story of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat and, and the Israelites are surrounded by a numberless horde of, of an alliance of nations, Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. And he tells the Lord, he says, Lord, I don't know what to do. What are we supposed to do? But he says, I don't know what to do, but I'm, I'm looking to you. And God tells him exactly what to do. He tells them just to position themselves. Tells them not to be afraid, for the battle is not yours but God's. He tells them in verse 17, you'll not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Do not fear or be dismayed, but go out against them, for the Lord is with you. He says in verse 20, Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Now, notice what he tells the people in verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now let me ask you this. You're surrounded by a numberless horde of Soldiers coming against you, an alliance of nations. Maybe you're surrounded by a host of problems. You feel like the Apostle Paul. There's trouble on every side, doesn't matter where I turn. At home, trouble. At work, trouble. I don't even have anything to do, and, and I don't have the money to pay these bills. Trouble, 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 trouble. All the way around, everywhere you turn, you see trouble. I don't have anything to praise God for. Well, then praise Him anyway. Before the victory. Here's these soul, here's these the people of Israel. They're surrounded. They're fixing to be, in their minds, annihilated because they hear the history of what these soldiers and these armies had done to peoples before them. But they began to praise the Lord. Verse 22. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. And you can read the rest of the story in 2 Chronicles 20. The story is told of the citizens of Feldkirk, Austria. As Napoleon's massive army was preparing to attack, they didn't know what to do. Soldiers had been spotted on the heights above the little town which was situated on the Austrian border. A council of citizens was hastily summoned to decide whether they should try to defend themselves or display the white flag of surrender. It happened to be Easter Sunday, and the people were gathered at the church. The pastor rose and said, Friends, we've been counting on our own strength, and apparently that has failed. And this is the day of our Lord's resurrection. Let us just ring the bells. 
have our services as usual, and leave the matter in God's hands. We know only our weakness and not the power of God to defend us. The council accepted his plan, and the church bells rang. The enemy, hearing the sudden peal, concluded that the Austrian army had arrived during the night to defend the town, and before the service ended, Napoleon's army, army broke camp and left. What would happen in your life and in your situation while you're waiting on God to work and you're griping and complaining, what if you turn that around and turned it into praise and adoration for God? You see, all throughout the scripture and even history, praise preceded victory. They even, Brian, you know this, put the choir in front of the soldiers. I'm for that. The choir went ahead of the army. Wonder why? Because praise precedes victory. Every one of us has a reason to praise because even though we're in defeat and in the throes of our problems, if we lift our voice to God, if God even doesn't fix our problems, He fixes our hearts aright. And the third reason we have to praise is that it beautifies the victor. Praise beautifies the victor. It says, blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He says in verse 37, they began to rejoice and to praise God, and they blessed the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, Olympic victors, we just had the Olympics this year. In the ancient Olympic Games, there was only one winner. Per event. There was not first, second, third. There wasn't gold, silver, bronze. There was one winner per event. And they were crowned with an olive wreath made of wild olive leaves from a sacred tree. Now today, you know, the Olympic victors are beautified with gold or silver or bronze. They're adorned with those things. Just as the ancient winners were adorned with the olive wreath. And see, that's what praise does. You, you lift high the victor. The gold medal winner always stands up on the center and most high platform. And he's adorned with gold. He's beautified with gold. That's what praise does. You see, it's not about you or me. Praise is to exalt the victor. Because of the victory and before the victory, we still praise the victor. And who's the victor? Jesus Christ is. In Revelation, in chapter 4, we find in verse 10 and 11, the elders fall down before Jesus who sits on the throne and they worship him. And it says they take their crowns off and they cast it before the throne. In other words, they realize we're not worthy to wear these crowns. Jesus is worthy. And they even say that in verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise. You created all things and, you, and by your will they exist. And then in chapter 5, he says the same thing in verse 13. That they say blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb forever and ever. You see, praise is about exalting and beautifying 
the Savior, the victor. In Psalm chapter 145, you know the, the last five chapters of the book of Psalm are nothing but praise. Ryan read chapter 145 two different nights while he was with us. But just listen to some of these verses. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And on and on in this chapter he goes. In chapter 146, verse 1, he says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord. It is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him sun and moon. Praise Him all you stars of light. Praise Him you heavens of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He said, Praise the Lord from the earth. Mountains, fire, hail, storm, beast, cattle, creeping things, kings, princes, Young men, maidens, old men, children, let them praise the name of the Lord. Then Psalm 149, praise the Lord, sing praise, sing to the Lord a new song, and His praise in the assembly of the saints. By the way, I like that, sing to the Lord a new song. You know, some of us, we love the old songs, but those aren't the only songs. When we get to heaven, we're going to learn some brand new stuff. Sing to the Lord a new song. He says, Verse 6, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. Verse 4 says, the Lord takes pleasure in His people. Verse chapter 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. That's too loud. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. That's too loud. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Listen, are we praising God? We can't praise God enough. The problem is, is many are unwilling to praise. We're unwilling to praise God. We don't want to look foolish in church. We want to be dignified. Hey, unbutton your collar. Take your tie off. Open your jacket. Take it off if you have to. Get on your knees before the Lord. Stand up with your hands raised. Shout to the Lord God Almighty. What you would do on the football field or the baseball field or, or to a movie star when you get to meet them, listen, reserve that kind of praise for one, Jesus Christ. He alone is worthy. We should not be unwilling to praise God in that manner and using everything we have, all kinds of instruments, to praise the Lord. That's unimaginable that believers would be unwilling to praise. That's why Jesus gave this unimaginable illustration. He said, if I tell them to hush, 
then the stones will start crying out. You know what? If I quit cheering for LSU and I convinced every LSU player, every LSU uh, fan to quit cheering for LSU, and I'm tempted, sorely tempted, The rocks ain't going to cry out for LSU. <laughs> Nobody will. I know you ain't. Y'all don't care. I don't get no sympathy from y'all. But if I convinced, and this is what the devil's doing, every believer to hush, quit praising God, quit speaking of God's wonderful works in your life. If every believer could be convinced to hush, the Bible says that the words of Jesus, the unimaginable, would happen. The rocks would cry out. The rocks would cry out praise. It's unimaginable that the rocks would cry out. It's unimaginable that the rocks would have to cry out. A conference at a Presbyterian church in Omaha and I wished I would have prepared this. This would have been a wonderful illustration. People were given helium-filled balloons. So just imagine you're holding a helium-filled balloon. And they were told to release them at some point in the service when they felt like expressing the joy in their hearts. Now remember, they were Presbyterians. They were not as free as even Baptists to say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. All through the service, balloons ascended. But when it was over, one-third of the balloons were still hung on to. Folks, it's time to let your balloon go. Get off your dignity and your pride and humble yourself and praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath, Psalm 156, praise the Lord. Do you have breath? Oh, you say, well, I do it silently. Liar. Because if you did it silently, your heart would get so full, it would explode into verbal praise. Praise, in fact, the word phrase, praise the Lord, is the Hebrew word hallelujah. Hallel, Yah. Praise God. And it was a verbal command. It wasn't... It wasn't just something you say, it was a command. Hallelujah! Exclamation point. It was the command to praise God. So as I just read for you in Psalm 145, 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150, the command, it said, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It was the word hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's commanding us in the last six chapters of the book of Psalms 
church of Jesus Christ, people of God, let's once and for all make the praise of God be on our lips, in our mouths, in our hearts. Let's make it unequaled. Let's be unashamed. Let's be united in doing it. And let's be unrestrained in our doing it. It's time for us to praise our God. Is He worthy? He's worthy. He's worthy. Would you bow with me?